spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass. More years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins. Where it all came from is to hold up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label. Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label, full stop, bandcamp.com. Although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish, I am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable me to keep the running costs of this podcast going and enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. And the end. Spoken Label. Back in the house on a Monday night. Yeah, it's been one of these weeks this week because, long story short, me and Amanda are both with COVID and I feel like a dog's dinner at the moment. But everything's great for Spoken Label. So we're over to San Francisco today. We're a really interesting lady that contacted me at the back end of 2021. And it took us a couple months to get this one sorted out. But hey-ho. Now, I'm going to let the lady introduce herself. I know she's lived in a few places and got quite a heck of a story to tell us here today in relation to a book she's just bought out. So, Laura, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them, obviously, where you're from originally and where you are now, and we'll start from there. Hi, Andy. Uh, so, my name is Laura Formentini, and I'm originally from um, Milan, Italy, um, but I've lived in the States for, I would say, the majority of my adult life. And um, I've also lived in other places, including Africa and Central America. Uh, currently, I'm in San Francisco in California. Cool. Now, obviously, you told me before you caught me out with that Milan thing. I, was, I wasn't expecting that because I've been to Milan myself twice a few years ago. I loved it over there. It is. So okay. when did you move to America? So I moved when I was 20 years old, <laughs> excuse me. And um, yeah, it, I moved for love and then I stayed. I stayed, I went to college in, uh, I lived in Missouri and then I lived in Colorado and then <laughs> moved to California. But um, yeah, that's one of those stories where, you know, I moved for love and got married and had two kids and, and I stayed. It, it hooked you and grabbed you, as I always say, doesn't it? So definitely so. Now, what if well, you've contacted me originally, wasn't it? There's, you've, got, you've lived quite an interesting life here, really, because you have bought a book out, which I'll come on to shortly. But obviously, like, I want to learn, first of all, about all your travelling you've done. So I know, you, I know you've already told me you've lived in certain parts of Africa, haven't you? So, so And I'm guessing you've done a fair bit of travelling all around there then. So what made you go to Africa? Well, I, um, I, so basically my background is in archaeology and art history. 
Um, I was always really interested in traveling, very curious in culture and anthropology and, and all of that. So I got into archaeology. I went on a lot of digs and did a lot of research for the university. And then, but then I realized that the more I traveled, the more I the more I saw the disproportion between rich and poor in the world. And um, that got me thinking. I thought, hmm, how about if I because I traveling is really my main passion. Um, then I realized, well, how about I keep traveling, but traveling with a purpose. And so I uh, started getting into photography, especially ethical photography, like nonprofit photography. And that, talk, that took me to Africa. And um, Africa is something that uh, changed my life completely. Um, when I went the first time I visited, I, I actually went on this really long eight country trip that started in South Africa and, and uh, it ended in Tanzania. And the poverty was striking, but what really uh, stuck with me was the, um, the sense of community that I had never seen anywhere else. Um, and you know, you would see, see a lot of people who are poor, but still smiling and um, just, you know, they just wanted to include you in within their communities. And so that really was striking to me, especially after living in the so-called first world, where um, a sense of community is not necessarily something very common. <laughs> so, um, so I got into that and uh, and then that led me to learn how to fundraise. And, and the, the issue with me is that I'm an empath, um, very, uh, I've always been empathic. So I've always been very um, highly sensitive to, uh, you know, violence or, um, you know, all sorts of stuff that, um, so I've always wanted to really improve the situation wherever I went. And so I thought, hmm, after this first trip to Africa, I realized that I really wanted to do something and to make the world a kinder place. And so that's, that's why I got into photography and, and, uh, and the fundraising. Yeah, now people obviously wonder at the fundraising side of things. Is I know for a fact you've done, you've renovated an entire orphanage in Kenya and also a rundown clinic in, is it? Owalia, I've got that right of that, or probably not. <laughs> yeah, in, in Malawi. And then Malawi is a, is a country in uh, southern Africa. It's a landlocked country. It's a very tiny country, but it's probably, I think it is the poorest in Africa. And what I saw down there was incredible. It was just uh, the, the poverty was insane. And the, the clinic that I... I was able to fundraise for um, was very run down. They, the women would deliver their babies on these very old, beat up mattresses, and they, they did not have any uh, surgical equipment, and it was insane. And and you know, and um, so I knew that I had to do something. <laughs> so I uh, fundraised for the surgical equipment, and then. Um, then when I found myself again uh, in another country in Africa, which was Kenya, I had a friend in Kenya. He said, hey, would you like to come up and see this children's home? It's you know, what we 
to still call orphanage. Um, and I went and even that was appalling to see the way they were living and, um, you know, bug infested beds and, and uh, it, it, it was incredible. But so, so I was able to do all of that. And, uh, and it's, you know, I never did it to, to get anything back. It was really a beautiful sense of accomplishment and just to see their smiles. And they said, you know, uh, you came and you, you, you transformed this, this thing into a three-star hotel. And I'm like, okay, you know, that made me, made my day, my month, my year. I was, I'm, I'm still like appalled at, um, you know, the being able, having been able to do that. And it was really um, a fun experience. And the kids were really awesome. That sounds brilliant. No, it's brilliant when you do when you do projects like that. Because I've done a bit of charity work over here, not that level what you've done. At the end of it, no matter what you've done, it it's something that always stays with you I think, for the rest of your life, really. And I think it shows as a people what as what we can do in society if we put sure. our mind to it. And yours is a fantastic example. Sure. I mean, it's it's something that I call random acts of kindness. You know, it's you see. Yeah, that was know, my next point. That's my next question. Actually, actually. So yeah. I read, read read that before in your blog. So tell us about that then next. Yeah. So um, so anyways, after a few years of doing this, of doing photography work, I've you know done photography work in um, with several um, nonprofit organizations in Puerto Rico, in Costa Rica, and you know in Africa and. Um, you know, I would, you know, I, I thought that my life had taken the, the right course of action. You know, I, I thought, well, this is it, you know, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And, and, you know, I had not written any books. I had not spoken. I had not done any of that stuff by then, but what happened was my life hits the turning point in 2019. Um, when I, when I was in Ethiopia and I was collecting stories of, positive transformation for, um, you know, just, you know, I just wanted to collect them and, and uh, maybe, you know, put together a journal and I didn't even know, but it was just really interesting to find out how people were living there. And while I was in Ethiopia, it was August of 2019, I received a call, the call that changed my life. And that was from my, I received the call from my older son who told me that um, my younger son um, had taken his life on the other side of the world. And um, so I obviously was distraught and, and I didn't know what to do. I was there with a group of locals who could not, obviously I had to find a flight to go back to the States and and uh, drop everything that I was doing. I had no idea what to do. I was nobody, I did not know anybody specifically there. I, I mean, I, I, I knew the locals, but I did not have any friends uh, of mine who could come back with me. So I had to fly back by myself. The locals said, did not even have a passport. So, so my tour leader, she said, listen, um, we can find you a flight to go back, but nobody in the group can stay with you um, all day long until your flight departs. There's a friend of mine who has volunteered to stay with you though. And his name is Asefa. This is a beautiful Ethiopian man who shows up out of the blue. And he says, yes, I'm volunteering to, to be with you all day long until your flight departs. 
and I did find not just one flight, but four flights because it was, it was from Addis Ababa to Dublin, Ireland, Dublin to Boston, Boston to Denver. It was a 35 hour thing by myself. So I'm so crazy, crazy, crazy. But this amazing man shows up, you know, the beacon out of the blue, uh, that light, the angel that shows up and he's like, holds my hand right away. And he calls me sister right away. Sister Laura, I'm here with you. Your son is okay right now. They're very religious down there. Your son is okay. Don't worry about him. He's, he's in heaven. And, and I'm not religious, but you know, I, I could feel what he meant. You know, he meant, don't worry. He meant to say, do not worry. I'm here for you. So he held my hand all day. You're talking 10 hours straight. Okay. Flight departs at 10 PM. And when he takes me to the airport, I asked him, I said, why did you do all of this for me? You don't even know me. And he said, he smiles and he says, I didn't do anything special, Laura. It was my human responsibility. So his presence, his voice, his kindness stayed with me. And I was able to make it on those flights thanks to him, okay, thanks to his kindness. And so basically, when I, I have seen him just one time, but we've kept in touch and it's, it's been over two and a half years. But um, he's, it's like we had always known each other, sort of like a brotherhood, a sisterhood of, of some sort. And um, his kindness, he, that prompted me when I came back to the US to write. I was like, wow, I am going to write about this experience. And so I started writing just five or six weeks after my son passed away. And, um, you know, I started writing notes and poems and all sorts of stuff. And then eventually <laughs> the notes and the poems turned into fables and then the fables uh, from the fables to an introduction and the epilogue. And people told me, this is a book, you know, you have to publish this. And so I would say that the stranger's kindness prompted me to, to um, pay his kindness forward. Um, and so I wrote this book that helped me to heal myself. But at the same time, um, I wrote the book. This book is really crafted to help other people heal as well. Course. Now, I can see from the title of the book, it's worth discussing next. The book itself is called 21 Olive Trees. And I know, obviously, your son was 21, obviously, when he sadly passed. What made you want to call it the title for this one? Yeah, so I picked the olive tree because the olive tree is a symbol of um, strength and power and regeneration and peace. And, and so... My idea, it just came to me. I had a dream about an olive tree because I was thinking, hmm, what am I going to call this? I knew that the 21 was very fitting, but I did not know um, exactly how, I knew that it had to be a special title, but so I had a dream of the olive tree and that's why I, I decided to pick that. And also, also because I realized that I wanted to plant the trees, plant the 21 mm. trees in his honor at a sanctuary, at a healing sanctuary somewhere. And I thought of the olive tree because it's, it's powerful. It's, it's a symbol of, of, of 
strength and so and and also of wisdom and my son was very um very empathic just like myself he had he had a lot of wisdom to him and so these are all the i would say the attributes that uh remind me of him yeah, beautiful. Now, obviously, it says in your, I'm just reading what's on your web website here because it's this, you, it's, 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 I'll tell you, I'll be honest now. When you chat to people like Laura, it's helpful because the website's that helpful. It gives me plenty of scope to ask you more questions. <laughs> it's like <laughs> easier for me. So, but yeah, I know I can see at one point, obviously, it does say you both lived together on two continents, traveled right. around the world together, didn't you? Often to remote and unusual places, such as Lapland in northern Finland. What made you want to live in Lapland in Northern Finland at one point? Well, I, uh, we both loved traveling, him and I. So him and I, just as a premise, we were very much like soulmates. You're talking about exactly the same people, exactly the same, very empathic, very uh, curious. We both love traveling. And um, it, it was... Uh, we picked Lapland because we just traveled to Lapland. We never lived there, but we traveled there because he just, he wanted to see something different for eight New Year's Eve. And so we said, Why not? We, we spent Christmas in Bergen in, in uh, Norway. And then we flew up there in uh, to Lapland and it was just magical. Uh, that's a fantastic, it sounds a great place to visit straight away with it. So now it's brilliant. Now, now, Obviously, I want to ask you about the book itself, and obviously, I can see from the book itself, obviously, there is an audio, you've got it coming out as an audio book as well, I notice, but it's been narrated by Courtney Patterson. Right. What was the experience like of hearing somebody else reading out your own book as an audio book? It was beautiful, and I, every time I listen to the audio book, it makes me cry, because her voice is... Um, well, I had to, I had to go, um, over a few, um, auditions, a few people auditioned for this. And it was not easy because all the people who auditioned were amazing, but it was really, um, I was looking for the perfect, perfect voice, perfect pitch. And, and that was hers and she's, I really loved it. And it's very, um, moving to listen to it every time from beginning to end. So I didn't want to, um, I, I just wanted a professional narrator um, and I knew it was not going to be easy to pick the right one, but um, I found her, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Now, Samantha, <laughs> I know you wouldn't have known this, but my wife's had um, several, several of her novels come out as audio books. I remember every time she tells me, every time she's had them come through, you get, when it's done well, you can really feel they had a different dimension to your book. Yes, yes. That's what I was wondering about with that straight away. Now, I, know, cause I also know your book's been illustrated as well by, yeah. is it Marat Cooper? Now, tell yeah. us about time at Marat then and what made you want to illustrate this book? Yeah, so Marit, she has, she's actually, uh, she actually lives in Birmingham in England. Oh, and, cool. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I found her through a wonderful website for uh, children's illustrators, actually. And even there, I had to go over a few auditions, but um, I knew from the get-go that it was going to be her. Um She's from Sweden and she's lived in England for, I think, 20 years. She's married to a 
um, to an Englishman and um, she's, we connected right away, her and I, because she knew that she wanted to work with someone interested in uh, um, doing work with illuminated manuscripts. And that was her, her dream. And so, and that was mine as well. I was really looking for someone who would do something within that sphere of work. And we connect, I couldn't believe it when she mentioned it. And I said, oh yes, <laughs> that's it. And so I would say I hired her right away. I said, yep, within a week, she was on board and uh, we connected on everything. I always believe for some time with people, and that's what I'm interested next to learn about yourself is my most that sort of person who's a work a person out in minutes of um, very very my first reaction you did pretty spot on and i get the feeling from obviously both your audiobook narrator and also your illustrator that's where you are as a person as well right exactly yeah we we connected immediately and i connected with the voice and then i connect connected with her um uh, with Marit's uh, style and <clears throat> it was perfect. I, I just knew right away. You just know, you just click. Yeah, no, no, straight away. And I get it completely with that. So it's certainly like that. I wish you could look at the book, definitely. Because it looks, I can see from the advanced reviews coming on this straight away. It looks like you've got something special, this book coming straight away. And I'll put some, when we upload this podcast afterwards, I'm going to put some of them on there, let people see how this has affected people. You're obviously we'd love for your son and obviously what you've set out to do with this book. Now, Obviously, the book itself, obviously, we're recording on the 10th of January, people are wondering, and the book actually comes out on the 11th, so this obviously will be a bit later. But, right. yeah, now, obviously, um, what made you want to bring the book out beginning of 2022? Was there any reason for that, was it? Or... Well, originally, it was supposed to come out on in October uh, of uh, 2021, but then I I wanted to change a few things, um, towards the end. And so it took a little bit longer than expected. Um, so originally it was October, but then we moved it to January and uh, it, it was a good choice. It, it was, it was uh, worth waiting a little bit longer just to, you know, to make those corrections and, and make sure. I just wanted to make sure it was basically this book for me, it was just like giving birth another time. Let's yeah. put it that way. It was, it was very, um, uh, it was exactly the same thing. And so I, you know, when you're at, towards the end, you cannot wait to give birth. And, but, you know, you still have to wait a little longer. And that's exactly how I felt towards the end there. I knew that, you know, oh, we got a few more weeks here. So let's not, I just wanted to make sure that it, it, it would be perfect. Yeah, no, I think so as well. Sometimes the wait is always better with books straight away. But I was not good luck, but definitely so. Now, Obviously, um, I know you've got several, you've doing film bits and pieces, aren't you, in relation to this. You were telling me, obviously, about what you're doing tomorrow on the 11th as well. Because obviously, this has been well gone by then in relation to launching the book. So, do you want to tell us a bit about that? On the 11th? Yeah, where you got some, oh, we told me on the stuff before we started. Well, I've forgotten it. <laughs> For the 11th, well, we're, we're doing something virtual and then um, we're, we're just going to have a, a uh, party um it's just a happy hour type of party and the thing is it's uh it was difficult to find the right bookstore because a lot of them are still understaffed or um you know um it's it, it's it's been a little bit difficult this year because 
because of COVID. And so I think that, you know, do, we're, do, we're going to do a small, smaller event. No, good luck. We're definitely with that. So I wish you all the best with it. Definitely now. Do you have any ideas where you want to go next? And do you, can you envisage there being a second book in, in the future, maybe? Yeah, I actually, um, I do, I did finish another book, um, which is called uh, Coming Home. And it's uh, about my experience um, working in at the orphanage. In fact, I collected the autobiographies of the kids. There's 120 kids at the orphanage and I collected their biographies. Right. So I was I wondering about that because you mentioned on your, on your website, I wasn't sure that as a website exclusive or going another book actually. Yeah, and it's um, it's actually it's wonderful because um, the the kids go from age five until about two, maybe 19, 20 years old, and the little ones, the little ones who cannot read or write yet, um, the they're. Um, you know, they weren't able to obviously write their biographies. So the, the matron of the, of the orphanage wrote it for them, knowing, you know, their story, their histories. And, but mainly I, I, so it's a book about them um, living in, uh, um, in this environment, how they survived a lot of hardship and how they really, the, they desire to be someone one day they want to be a doctor or they want to be an architect and despite the really difficult situation in which they grew up and um, they did not grow up with materialism but they did grow up with a lot of love and that's really what mattered and that's that's what the book's about so where love where there is love there is life yeah I think it seems seems some of you quite well as a person that but obviously then was that quite a different book to write then was it yeah, it's, it was, um, you know, this is the book that I just finished, 21 Olive Trees, is a mix of fiction and nonfiction. It's also a memoir. This specific book, Coming Home, is more um, nonfiction. So it's, uh, it's just straight nonfiction and memoir, but there's no fiction in it. So it's, uh, it's very different. This um, 21 Olive Trees is more about... Um, uh, they, the, uh, some, someone called it uh, a testament to the, 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 uh, the power of storytelling and to a mother's love. So it's really about me. It's really my cathartic way of expression, of expressing myself in, in a melding of genres. Whereas the coming home is just pure nonfiction. Yeah, no, I get it completely. Bit. So good luck with both of them, definitely with that. So I wish you all the best with that, Laura. Now, to conclude, obviously, if people want to find out more about you, where are the best going? So the book will be available um, worldwide um, in, uh, well, obviously on Amazon, but uh, in all the bookstores. So um, I do not, so far I only have the, English edition, and uh, I've been asked to uh, sell the translation rights. And so um, most likely it'll be translated in different languages at some point within a couple of years, I'm assuming. But for now, um, in English, Amazon and all the bookstores um, worldwide. 
It's good to me. Now, if, I know obviously you've got your own website as well. I've hinted at this enough as well. So the, is that the best place for people to go to if they want to read up about you otherwise? Yes. So my my website is um, www.laura, L-A-U-R-A, for Mentini, F-O-R-M-E-N-T-I-N-I.com. And I'm also on Instagram at author Laura Formentini. Fantastic. Right. Well, what we'll then do is that's a long answer to my question. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back to everyone in two minutes. And Laura's going to read out a bit of the intro of this book, one of the fables and a poem. So a nice, as I always say, spoken label, nice bit of variety. It's been a pleasure today, Laura. I've loved hearing your story. I'd love to love to meet you as well. Thank you. We'll see you in one minute. Spoken label. Hi, guys. Still here with the lovely Laura. It's over to her now. She's going to read out. Not three extracts, four extracts, even better. So renegotiated during the break. So look forward to it. Over to you, Laura, my friend. I celebrate myself and sing myself and what I assume you shall assume. For every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. Walt Whitman. Why this book? because a soulmate connection never dies. This book, 21 Olive Trees, A Mother's Walk Through the Grief of Suicide to Hope and Healing, is my personal journey of transformation following my son Blaze's suicide. The book traces my path from grief to understanding and healing. Shown through a collection of 21 letters and poems I wrote to Blaze in the year after his untimely death. Before each of the letters is a fable narrative I wrote. The morals of each story reflect the wisdom Blaze and I gained during the years we spent living and traveling together. The fables take a playful, childlike, and intimate look at coping with loss and embracing acceptance that I hope will intrigue, inspire, give hope, and offer ways for readers to transform their own personal loss and pain into something beautiful. The title takes its name from the 21 olive trees, one for each year of Blaze's life, that I will plant at a healing center I am currently creating in his honor. The olive tree is a symbol that reflects all things about him, including peace, wisdom, immortality, and regeneration. My son Blaze was my soulmate and my partner in crime on many adventures. We lived together on two different continents and traveled seemingly everywhere around the world together, often to remote areas like Lapland in the northernmost region of Finland or the pyramids of Egypt. All the while we had amazing and profound conversations about concepts like wisdom and folly, ate the craziest foods like scorpions and a stick in Cambodia, encouraged each other when we were afraid and had as many moments of laughter and eccentricity as we did of confrontation. He was an incredibly sweet, generous and ultra sensitive soul. We had even planned to work together in the nonprofit field. I as a philanthropist would fundraise and tell stories through the documentaries he would create as a director. Because of our profound connection, it seemed like we both found our passions and shared the same enthusiasm for them. However, Blaze was also an empath. Empaths are known for absorbing energy from people and places, the good and the bad, 
and to not be able to distinguish where their own emotions end and the other person's begin. His highly sensitive soul couldn't handle the harshness of the world in which he lived. Unfortunately, because of these pressures and a drug addiction that I did not recognize, Blaze decided to take his own life. He left before realizing that his empathy was a gift. Empathy can heal. Empathy can bring about the changes that our society is so strongly in need of. I have never ever experienced the same amazing bond that I had with Blaze with anyone else in my life. In fact, the bond between Blaze and I has grown stronger thanks to the great flow of energy that I feel still exists between us. Our soulmate relationship continues to this day as he acts as my muse to bring healing transformation into the world. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. The Weaver <clears throat> by Grant Colfax Toller. <clears throat> my life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the color he weaveth steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. I have always really loved this poem by Grant Colfax Toller. It speaks of God, the creative force behind everything and the way he weaves our lives in the same way a tapestry is woven. How appropriate when I think of you and me, how appropriate when I know that every day you infuse me with beautiful positive ideas and with the courage to keep going even stronger than before. How appropriate when I never knew that we would be separated so early in the flesh, but united more than ever in spirit. How appropriate when we just can't control the outcome of anything. How appropriate when we learn to go with what the universe has envisioned for us all along. This is the fable, first fable, camel and spider. Once upon a time, Camel and Spider became friends as they crossed a great desert. Spider wasn't like the regular household spiders that annoy and scare you or the small ones that take shelter in your bathtub and spin webs in the hardest to reach corners of your house. No, the spider was very, very different. You might shriek five times louder at the mere sight of spider because the spider was a tarantula. And that meant she was bigger and hairier than any spider you've ever seen in your life. She was as big as your face, but her personality was as sweet as honey. But to camel, spider was tiny. If you know anything about crossing deserts, you know it can be a very lonely experience. When camel and spider met each other, even though one was very tall, although small in stature for most camels, and the others very small, although very big compared to most spiders, they became fast friends. 
and good friends are hard to find. Camels slow down to match spider's pace and, spiders quickened, and spider quickened hers to keep up with camel. They were on a very important mission. They needed to get to the watering hole. If you know anything about deserts, you know water is very scarce and watering holes are very important. Animals have instincts for things that you and I don't. It's in their blood to be able to sniff out water and find it, but the oasis was still very, very far away. I don't think we'll ever find the water hole, Camel said. Why, Spider sweetly asked. Camel said, well, we've been traveling for days and days and days and days and days and days. Spider joined in and days and days and days and days. But we can see the sun and have sought great shelters at night. We've been so very lucky. Camel snorted and then spit. Not because he was annoyed at all. It's just what camels do. Camels are actually quite patient, kind, and most of all, they're very, very smart. You found the shelter, not me, Camel said. He said this because he didn't like it very much when Spider disappeared at night. He missed Spider when she did what spiders do in the desert, burrow underground. He also was very afraid of the dark. Spider caused Camel a great amount of stress and worry during their nights together. Every night he wondered if Spider would come out of her hole in the morning. So Camel treated every day of their friendship as if it were their last. This meant he was always on his best behavior and Spider was always dear to Camel. Camels don't burrow into holes in the sand. They are too big. Instead, they lay in the sand. Camel loved laying the light of the full moon most of all. And that night, the moon was the fullest it had ever been because the moon was very close to the earth. Good night, Camel, Spider said. Good night, Spider, Camel said. Spider burrowed into the sand and disappeared. All the night, Camel worried. He sat there in the light of the moon and watched the sand dunes, calm and beautiful, ripple like waves, on an ocean of land. He would never see the dunes with spider at night. He sighed. Somehow the beauty of the desert didn't seem real unless he shared it with spider. Still, the moon was round like spider. And so he talked to the moon all night as if spider was right beside him. Finally, the sun rose. Good morning, camel, spider said. Good morning, spider, Camel said. His heart felt as full as the moon when she dug herself out of the burrow. They stepped back out on their way across the desert. Spider's eight hairy, nimble legs moved oh so quickly compared to Camel's huge hooves. I think we're almost there, Spider said. You always say that, Camel said. Well, we get a little closer every day, Spider said. Then a terrible wind stirred up the desert. The storm lasted for days and days and days, and the wind blew Spider away, far, far away. Camel went in search of Spider in the harsh wind, but his eyes got pelted with little grains of sand, and so all he could do was wait until it was over. He waited and waited and waited and waited. He hated waiting and waiting and waiting. 
When all finally felt calm, Camel yelled, Spider, Spider, where are you? Spider did not answer. She was very, very far away, no telling where. Camel went all over the desert trying to find her. He hoped he would come upon her like he did the very first time they met as she scurried up a sand dune and then slipped back down the sand. She loved to play. The nights were long, but at least he had the moon to keep him company. He talked to Spider through the moon and told her about his day. I miss you, Camel said, longing for his friend. Finally, Camel set off for the watering hole again. Camels, unlike spiders, can go for great distances in the desert without needing water. But even Camel had grown desperately thirsty. It took five more days for Camel to reach the watering hole. As he sat by the banks of the watering hole, surrounded by palm trees, he felt so happy and sad at the same time. Spider and Camel had talked about this moment for a very long time. But at this moment, Camel felt like only half a camel. Spider helped him feel whole. So he only felt a deep sadness instead of what should have been great pleasure as he licked up the fresh water. He drank and drank and drank and got so tired he took a nap. When he woke up, Spider had crawled on his nose to take a nap. Nailed him, the sylph of the air, had made sure the spider's journey landed her safely in the oasis. Spider, you're here. What took you so long, Spider said. I've been waiting for you. I looked everywhere for you. Too bad camels can't fly, Spider said. The wind blew me here so very far, so very fast. All I had to do was relax. I missed you. You've taken a very long time to get here. I didn't walk as fast without you, said Camel. Silly Camel, I'm right here with you, even when I'm not with you. Camel looked at the moon, visible in the afternoon sky. You're in the moon, you're in every grain of sand. I can't see anything without seeing you, spider. Really, that's really evocative art piece, Laura. Excellent stuff. Thank you. And I would like to read you um, the first poem and the very last poem. So you can see the, the differences in the two and my journey of my process of, of healing. This is the very first. Very first is one thing, and this is pretty raw. One thing that makes me so pissed off is you leaving me like this. How could you do that? You got consumed and burned yourself to death for no reason when you truly had it all. I can't say that I did not try my very best with you and my very best is the best of the best. I go to the edges of the world to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And you know that I am so hurt. I am so hurt because my love for you was the best and it still is, but you are no longer there to listen and no longer there to take from me. With the smirk you left me in this motionless reality that makes no sense. Without you talking to me, without you driving me crazy, and without you making me comfortable with my choices. The smell of gunpowder permeates my nostrils 
and screams words of helplessness, although I shake my head, clearly knowing that you are, you are here, molded into the everything and into this perfect nothingness. Well, that is, that is pretty raw. Wow. But powerful, but powerful. The last, very last one is what difference does it make? What difference does it make if you are here in the flesh or in spirit, knowing that you have always existed and always will? What difference does it make knowing that we have always been connected and always will be in one way or the other? What difference does it make knowing that you have now transformed and that here on earth, your light will keep on shining upon those who have lost theirs? I thank you for your support. I thank you for your love. And especially, I thank you for your light. Your mom in this lifetime, your friend forever. Really, that's a great way that it's really great. It shows the difference in your journey and the two poems that begin the end. That's tremendous, Laura. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, guys and girls. Well, that's it for today now. Now, I think we've worn Laura out there completely with all that reading, fantastic reading she's done to us there. So we'll let her go and calm down now. But seriously, Laura, thank you for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. And good thank luck you. with the book. Thank you. Thanks so much. Right. Okay, guys and girls. But I said for that's it for today. So as I always say, as Don Callis Impact Wrestling says, stay safe and stay over. And we'll see you all next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken later.